You are listening to the VBAC Link podcast, episode number 39. Today we are talking with Caitlin from Boston and how she overcame some big mental hurdles to prepare for her VBAC. Awesome. We cannot wait. And today I would like to share the review of the week. This review comes from our Facebook, the VBAC Link. And this is from Kristen Allen, and she says, I am loving the podcast so far. It is so, so necessary for women to know that VBAC is a safe option for many. I personally worked with Julie, and I'll be sharing my birth stories in an upcoming episode. And she was so kind and easy to talk to. Thank you so much for all the work that you are doing. And seriously, Kristen, thank you. You guys, this is how we are going to keep this podcast going like with you guys sharing reviews like this, it means so much. So if you would, go ahead and pause right now before we get going into Caitlin's story and go leave us a review. We seriously love it. You are tuned in to the VBAC Link podcast with Julie Francom and Megan Heaton, VBAC moms, doulas, and educators here to help you get inspired for birth after having a C-section. Together, they have created a robust VBAC preparation course along with this uplifting podcast for women who are preparing for their VBAC. Although these episodes are VBAC specific, they encourage all expectant moms to listen and educate themselves on how to avoid a cesarean from the get-go. The purpose of this podcast is to educate and inform. It is not meant to replace advice from any other qualified medical professional. Here are your hosts, Julie and Megan. We are so excited to be here with you today. We were just chit-chatting with Caitlin before we started recording, and guys, I am just so excited because she told us that she binge-listened to all of her podcast episodes and that uh, she felt like we were her honorary doulas for her VBAC birth, and I am like so excited, waiting on the edge of my seat for her to share her episode with us today. But before we do that, we wanted to talk a little bit about preparing mentally for your VBAC. We go over so much about mental preparation in our courses because having a big mental block will prevent your body from progressing naturally. It can totally freeze you up and anything that triggers you in the birth space is bad news for typical birth physiology. So after the episode, Megan is going to share some really cool things that you can do to process your fears so that they don't hang you up for your VBAC. But without further ado, let's turn it over to our guest and new friend, Caitlin. Thank you so much. I'm really excited and also nervous to be talking to you guys. Like I said, I feel like you were my doulas sort of leading up to my birth because while I did have a doula with my VBAC, which was absolutely amazing, I hired her on very late in the game and I'll get into that. And what you said about the mental preparation is so true because I feel like with my, you know, C-section, that's really what made my birth almost traumatic with sort of the mental hurdles and stuff that I went through during delivery. And then going into my VBAC, I think the reason why I was successful was because I was able to overcome a lot of the fears and your podcast and listening to all of these amazing women's stories helped break down a lot of those fears. So thank you. Um, And I'll talk a little bit more about that as I go through. So I guess I'll just start with my C-section baby. So that was my son, Gray, and he um, was my first. And I knew going into my pregnancy that I really wanted a natural birth. Like a lot of people, I had watched the business of being born years before. And to me, it just felt like the way it should be. So my husband and I took classes on natural birthing. I studied hypnobirthing. And my practice, my medical practice, they assign you both a midwife and an OB when you join on, which I think is is really great because you automatically have that midwife option and you can sort of choose as your pregnancy progresses if you want to see the midwife or the OB. So I opted for the midwife and usually when you do that, they'll have you check in with the OB, you know, once or twice during your pregnancy. But for the most part, the midwife is your primary provider. And of course it's an on-call system. So there's no guarantee you'll have that midwife when you deliver. It's um, a network, but it was a great option. So I was really confident going in, 
Um, I had a birth plan written up. My husband and I, you know, we were ready to go. And the pregnancy was generally uneventful. At about 37 weeks, my midwife checked me, and she said, this baby is going to be early. You are, um, I think I was three centimeters dilated, 80% effaced. She's like, your cervix is perfect. You're, you know, you won't go overdue. Well, sure enough, 40 weeks came and nothing. Um, and after she had told me that, I would leave work and I'd say, okay, guys, I probably won't see you because, you know, this baby's going to come any minute. And then I, they'd show up to work and they'd say, oh, you're still here. <laughs> that went on way too long, like weeks and weeks. So 40 weeks, nothing. I actually presented at an architecture conference like two weeks after my due date because I just felt like no contractions. It wasn't progressing. We started to talk about induction and then I spontaneously went into labor sort of the day that the day before they wanted to induce me which I think was yeah which is lucky and that I think was like five or six days to like probably 40 yeah five or six days post you know post due date so my labor started at home and I just remember there was so much back labor like it was all back pain and it was progressing a little bit slowly but once the contractions got to you know five minutes apart I was counting them. That's what, you know, sort of the textbook tells you you should call and that's when you should go to the hospital. So I uh, called the hospital and they said, go ahead and come in. And I went in and triage and they checked me and I think it was about four centimeters. So they went ahead and admitted me. And the midwife who was on call, I'd never met her before. She asked me going into the room, you know, if I, it says that you want a natural delivery or natural, you know, labor. If I think you would benefit from an epidural, do you want me to, you know, tell you that? Or would you rather ask for one? And I was very specific. I said, you know, I will ask you. I sort of know my pain threshold. And I'm not, to- I'm not completely opposed to intervention. So if I feel like I need it and my body needs it, then I will ask. But don't suggest it. And that kind of goes back, I think, to the mental headspace. Like, I wanted to be in control, and I think having that suggestion would sort of throw me. And I don't think I was aware of that at the time, but looking back, I think that's why I was so adamant that I wanted to be the one to suggest it. So um, I got checked, and I was laboring, you know, pretty hard. It was pretty painful, but I felt like my husband and I were working through the contractions together, um, I was trying to use hypnobirthing techniques. I was very much in this, like, mental zone where, like, the passage of time, I had no idea. It could have been 20 minutes or three hours, and I didn't know. And my husband was, you know, sort of helping me through the physical pain. And granted, I was very vocal, but I felt like I was managing the pain well enough. Well, the midwife came in, I don't know, maybe it was a couple hours after being admitted. I'm not sure. And she checked me. And I just remember her tone, her bedside manner was so off-putting. Even in triage, I sort of got that vibe. But once we were actually in the labor room, every time she entered, it just felt so negative. She, you know, checked me and said, oh, you're, you know, your body's just not progressing fast enough. Like, you're, you, you know, no progress. And after laboring, you know, for hours to just, be told, yeah, no, you know, you're not really making any good progress was mentally really frustrating. And while, I mean, she wasn't wrong, it just felt like terrible bedside manner. Anyway, so in that moment, she said, you're working really hard. You have a long way to go. I think you need an epidural. And that really upset me because I felt like I was very explicit that that's not what I wanted. And what I heard was my body wasn't doing it well enough. I wasn't, I wasn't doing it properly. She said, you're working too hard. You're laboring too hard. I can tell this is really hard for you. So you should get an epidural. You need to relax because there's a long way to get to a 10. So what I took away from that, yeah, it was like very, Thanks. again, that mental I'm working state. Hard here. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And like I said, I, I felt like I was managing it. And sure, I might have been vocal, but that was my way of going through the contractions. So what I took away from her saying that was, you need, you, you need to slow down, you need to relax. So I tried to very consciously force my body to relax. So I went into the tub. There's a tub in my room, turned off the light, sort of tried to like lay down and labor 
like on my side while my husband massaged me. And I, I tried to take the, the um, midwife's advice and really calm my body down because what I heard was you're, you're trying too hard. Your body's, you know, just working too hard. So uh, again, I don't know how much time passed, but she came back maybe it was an hour, a couple hours later and checked me again and said, yeah, you're still not progressing. And at this point, it seems like your body's slowing down. So I recommend you, you know, get an epidural and get on Pitocin or, you're, or I want you to go home. And I was like, what? You, you, I thought you told me this is what I need to do. And it was 2 o'clock in the morning when she said this. And I really didn't want an epidural or to get on Pitocin at that point. I felt like I was fine. The baby wasn't in, in, in distress. Really, I just wasn't progressing as fast as she wanted. And so my husband and I said, you know, we really, we, we don't want to go home, but we don't want the intervention. Is there you know, really no choice? And she said, no. So we said, let's, we'll, we'll think about it. So we sent her out of the room. And then ultimately we decided that if she was going to kick us out of the hospital, if we didn't, get, I think I was at five centimeters at this point. So I was in active labor and we decided to go home. So we gathered up all of our bags. I think at this point now it was three in the morning or four in the morning got in the car and I was still laboring in the car, drove all the way home, which was like 30 minutes away. And I labored at home for a bit. And then my water broke and I was group B positive. So I knew that once my water broke, they'd, you know, want me there to be monitored. So we called the hospital and they told me to come back in. And I remember when I got checked in, the woman at admissions almost was crying. It was like, I can't believe they sent you home. So you're kind of back at it again. I should say I was first admitted to the hospital on a Saturday and then Gray was born on Tuesday. So it was a very long labor. Anyway, so we got back into the hospital and I finally, after laboring more, I agreed to go on Pitocin, but I didn't want the epidural. So I was able to labor until I got to about seven centimeters. And finally, at that point, it was, I think, you know, over two days. I was so exhausted. I hadn't slept, obviously. So I, I, you know, ultimately said I wanted an epidural and that allowed me to sleep a little bit. Labor again took a long time, but I was able to get to about like nine and a half centimeters. So I was almost there at some point. I don't remember when the OB actually came on because the midwife, the same one who sent me home, she was kind of like back on shift. She kept coming back. And every time she came back, I was like, no, I don't want to see you. And when there was a shift change, it was great because she was gone. I just had such bad energy with her. But she was trying to put an internal heart monitor in to check the baby, and she couldn't get it. So she kept, like, shoving it. And even though I had an epidural, like, it was painful. So she called the OB in and said, I can't figure out how to get this in. And they finally got it in, and then they are like, oh, it might be out of batteries. I mean, like, I was so annoyed. So at that point, the OB was brought on, and the OB was now sort of checking the progress. So they said, you're at nine and a half, but, oh, so I was at nine and a half, and then they came back maybe an hour later or two, and she said I was regressing, which I don't know if that's possible, but she thinks maybe I was, like, swelling, so it actually seemed like I was closing up, and that's when they started talking about a possible C-section. And at this point, again, the baby's heart rate was fine. It was just a long labor. So I asked them, she said, you know, we should get the anesthesiologist on board and start like prepping for a surgery. And I said, can I still try to get to attend? Like if, if I'm able to get there, can we just call it off? And, you know, gratefully they said, yes, we'll let you like labor up until the point we're admitting you. And if you can get there, we'll let you push. But then there was a shift change and the OB who came on, you know, walked in the door, looked at my chart, said, you know, the baby's heart rate seems to be dropping this is over. We're going into C-section now. So um, we, I remember they were prepping me for the C-section. They were saying, we're going to pinch your stomach and, you know, you're going to, we're going to ask if you can feel that and we'll sort of, you know, modify the medication and then we'll start. I said, okay, that makes sense. So I'm laying there and my husband's next to me, we're holding hands and they start pinching my stomach and I can feel it but they didn't ask if I could feel it. And then they started cutting and I just started yelling. 
I can feel it. I can, I can feel that. I can feel that. It was so painful. I remember then when it got probably from like when they were cutting my skin to maybe the uterus, like just screaming in pain because it was oh so obviously painful. So um, yeah, it was just like a nightmare. And then the, I remember the OB asked the anesthesiologist, would you like, would you like us to stop? And the anesthesiologist said no. And then the next thing I know, I woke up and my husband was holding our son. And for me, like, obviously not seeing Ray born was, like, the most traumatic aspect of the entire delivery. Like, not the pain of being cut. Because to go from, you know, being pregnant and, like, working hard to bring this child into the world and then all of a sudden, like, you're not pregnant anymore. You are not conscious when that moment happened. And being drugged, I just felt, like, so exhausted and groggy, and I just kind of, like, looked over. And I, have, I actually don't know. I, I don't think I've ever asked my husband, like, how long he was holding Gray and how long I was out. But he was, you know, wrapped in a blanket, so obviously I think they had, like, weighed him and, you know, done that whole process. So I was out for a while. So that was really rough. They... Gray was like pretty bruised. There was bruising around his nose, I think, from when they were trying to get the monitor in. And he was actually born with a, a palsy in his hand, so he couldn't he couldn't lift his wrist or his thumb, um, and like or fold his hands. And they think it was just from being in a bad position. So he was asynclitic and posterior. I think it's so sunny side up, right? And what was interesting is throughout the whole labor. There was, like, I was never told, oh, he might not be in a good position. And understandably, I guess you can, you might not be able to tell that from a check. But in my research of what I've done of, like, asynclitic um, labors, it's, like, textbook for, like, you know, slow to progress. All those things. And back labor. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, the back labor. So while I feel like my body, when I was laboring previous to the epidural, I was doing different positions. But I really feel like had, had I known that, I would have tried to work with my body instead of just being told, oh, you're not progressing fast enough. Oh, you know, we don't know why. We don't know why you're not progressing. We don't know. It, I just felt like I wasn't being helped. So in postpartum, actually, I was visited by, you know, the head of the midwifery department who apologized for being sent home for sort of the whole process. And one of the um, nurses actually said, you know, confidentially, you know, I shouldn't be saying this because I work for the hospital, but you need to get your records documenting the entire process because if your son's palsy doesn't, you know, go away and he needs physical therapy, like sort of implying that like I should sue the I should sue the hospital for the way that the whole birth was handled. It eventually, you know, cleared up. It was just a pinch nerve that needed to be sort of stimulated. So in about a month he was totally functional. But what was interesting in that birth report and I wish I had read this sooner but it, I couldn't read it until like a year after because I think I was still struggling from the trauma of it. But what was interesting is the midwife who sent me home and basically threatened me and said, if I didn't get these interve- interventions, then I needed, then she kicked me out. In her notes, she said, I, you know, the patient decided she, she'd rather labor at home, which infuriates me. Um, oh my goodness. So, so I wish I, I wish I had known that. And, Interestingly enough, I met a woman at, the, at a playground whose daughter was born the exact same day as Gray, just a couple hours apart. So I asked who her midwife was, and it was, you know, the same woman. And she said, oh, my gosh, it was awful. Like, my, my labor was normal, but when it came to pushing, she said, if you, don't get in a, if you don't push this baby out in the next, you know, five seconds, I'm giving you an episiotomy. So Whoa. I don't – yeah. I mean, it is – sort of, I don't know why she's a midwife, like, because, yeah, to me, it's, like, so contrary to everything you hear about, you know, what midwives are for and supporting the birth process, so, oh, I should say, too, so I, that, like, mental hurdle, it was really hard for me after the fact, which I think probably a lot of women who, you know, experience a birth that was traumatic or not what they wanted, to sort of reconcile the feelings of being grateful that you have a healthy baby, but also sort of mourning what just happened to you. Yes. And you feel guilty sort of being sad, but at the same time, like, these are real emotions that you, you can't ignore. 
and I, I had a really hard time. It's hard to admit, but I feel like I had a really hard time connecting to Gray as like a mother. Like I didn't feel like I was a mother and I would hear stories about people talking about like the moment that the baby, you know, entered the world, you just felt this immediate surge of like love and emotion. And I kind of felt like a zombie and it took me a really long time to feel like that connection. Yeah. Um, like I loved him. Was like I, that too. Exactly. Really? Yep. yep. And, and you feel, you feel that like, you feel like what's wrong with me? Like what's wrong with me as a mother? Because that's not natural. Like you're told it's this magical period. So yeah. And actually I talked to someone else and they felt the same way. And I think just knowing there's other people and you're not alone helps so much, which again is why going into my VBAC, your podcast was so, so helpful. But there was one picture from Gray's birth. So it was in the operating room and it was when, you know, he was being pulled out of, you know, my stomach and all of the, you know, staff had masks, but I just remember I would zoom in on one nurse who I could see in her eyes, like the smile that she had on her face. Like I couldn't see her smile because she had a mask on, but her eyes were almost like teary and like, it was like squinty. Like I knew she was smiling and I would sort of like hang on to that picture as like the only joyful memory from that whole experience Mm. um, was like sort of like feeling the joy, like from a third person perspective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um, so it took me a while to kind of like recognize the joy from, from the delivery, which like I said, is as hard as a mother to feel like, you know, conflicted with those. Cause I was so happy he was here and he was safe and I was safe and I'm grateful for that. But, but it was rough. So that was my first. And then going into my VBAC, they are about almost three years apart. Exactly. So some time had passed. And it's funny, a lot of people, at least from a podcast that I've heard, will say, I knew I wanted a VBAC. And I, I didn't know that. And I think because I had a lot of fear of, like, what if this happens again? My mother had a very similar labor with my sister, so, you know, her first child. And so I thought, like, well, what if, our, what if our, oh, genetically my pelvis is shaped in a way that, like, turns the baby into a bad position? She had a C-section with my sister, and then she had scheduled C-sections for, you know, me and my brother. So I just thought, I do not want to go through the long labor process only to result in another C-section. Like, if I'm going to have a C-section, I might as well schedule it. So I was really, I was really torn about what I wanted to do. And I think in my heart, I knew I wanted to have a vaginal delivery. I just didn't believe that it was possible. My dad's a physician. And so he, in his experience and where he practices, is, you know, a C-section is the safer option because it's controlled. You know, he's used to the operating room. Um, and given my mom's experience, my parents were both very, I wouldn't just say supportive, like almost adamant that they wanted me to have a scheduled C-section for my own, for my own safety. And I don't doubt them for that, but it, that I think in me created a lot of fear. So I signed on to the same, I had the same, um, network, but I had a different midwife this time who was absolutely amazing. And she was very supportive and encouraging me and, you know, telling me like, I'm a good candidate. You know, there's no indication that I'm going to have the same delivery. Even if my mom had that experience, there's you know no evidence that it's a genetic thing, but I was really torn about which hospital to deliver at because I learned that. So within my network, I could deliver at you know, one of five hospitals or one of five hospitals or so, but all of the midwives, we're now only at one hospital. They'd been moved from the other location. So if I wanted a midwife, I had to deliver at that same hospital. And the midwife, who I call her the evil midwife, she was still employed there. So I knew there was a chance I could get her again. And I, I just like get anxiety thinking about, thinking about that. But I talked to my midwife and she said, you know, if she's on call, you just say, I want the OB and like be done with it. So um, I decided I'd have a midwife and I, with a second child, you have so much less time. I feel like mentally to prepare for the birth because you're also taking care of a toddler while you're pregnant. So while I knew I wanted to be back, I really didn't do a lot of, I think the like homework and research that I should have. I just sort of trusted my midwife. And I think I was a little jaded from my first because I had this whole birth plan worked up and none of it was followed. So it's sort of like, what's the point of having a birth plan? What's the point of like, you know, 
going in with a plan because it can get thrown out the window. But I felt pretty good. My pregnancy was normal um, with the exception of an anterior placenta, which I didn't know. They, they said, okay, your placenta is anterior. It's no big deal. But I learned from you guys that in some cases they'll actually discourage a VBAC because of that. So that was really interesting, yeah. and I'm really grateful that well, – yeah, I'm so grateful they, that they didn't discourage me. Exactly. Well, they, they look at it early on, and, you know, a lot of the times we'll have clients say, uh, you know, 20 to 22 weeks when they have that ultrasound, like, oh, I can't, I can't be back anymore because I have an anterior placenta, but um, they scheduled me at 32 weeks or 34 weeks for another ultrasound, and really more times than not, it's – it grows up, you know, as the uterus grows, it grows up, and mm-hmm. it never it never even has to be a worry. But between 22 and 32 weeks, that that whole mind, it's just such a mind thing. You know, it's now the yes. question, that, oh, I can't be back now because my placenta, It yeah. you know, it's just it's so hard. So I'm glad that we could help. <laughs> yes, yes. Oh, my gosh, I've learned so much. <laughs> So, like I said, I generally felt okay. There was a lot of hesitation from my parents. But I think what really threw me mentally and where I felt like I need, I, I need to mentally prepare for this birth is that about 30 or 31 weeks, I had an appointment with the OB, who I hadn't really met with, you know, at all during the pregnancy. But my midwife was out of town, and she thought it's a good opportunity to meet with the OB. And I left that appointment feeling so discouraged, which is interesting because I chose this OB because I had heard that she was supportive of VBACs. I remember she walked into the appointment and she said, oh, you're here for your routine pap smear. I said, no, I don't think so. And she's like, yeah, 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 your procedure that you had done. And I was like, I don't think, and I kept saying, I don't think this is the right, no. And finally said, I'm 32 weeks pregnant. And she was like, oh, okay, sorry, sorry, sorry. So she started the, she started the appointment pretty distracted. She said, tell me how you're feeling. And I just sort of said, you know, I'm, I'm having a VBAC. I feel pretty good about it. My parents aren't that supportive. So that's sort of it. She said, well, tell me about your first birth. So I told her about it. And she started to get very negative. She said, oh, well, you, you know, you had a failure to progress, which is interesting because when you do the VBAC calculator, you know, uh. the reason why. Yes, I know. <laughs> no. Sorry. Soapbox. Yeah. Not going to get on it. <laughs> I know, I know. So, like, you you could look at my birth two ways. Either it was failure to progress because it took a long time, or it was the baby's heart rate because it was starting to sort of slow. And however you put it into the calculator, you get a different result. So just because my chart says failure to progress doesn't mean that's actually the cause. So, So she was, like, very down on that. And then the other thing she said, she's like, She's like, oh, well, and also, you know, you're already at your full-term weight. Um, so this baby's going to be a lot bigger. And I said to her, I was like, how do you know I'm not just fatter? <laughs> because because <laughs> I, like, I, you ha- I haven't had an ultrasound in a long time. I'm measuring normal. The midwife has said nothing about a big baby. So just because <laughs> yeah. I weigh more doesn't mean the baby's bigger. And she's like, well, you know, that could be true, but you're, so Gray was eight pounds, four ounces, so like a decent size, but he was also overdue. And I definitely was hungrier this pregnancy. With Gray, I had such bad morning sickness that I, I only gained like 18 pounds, 20 pounds with that pregnancy. So I feel like I should be heavier with this pregnancy. Anyway, I just sort of felt like I had to defend my decision, and she kept throwing out these like, I didn't feel like I was getting real answers they were just like sort of fears like well this could happen well this could happen and and she said and if you go overdue you know there's a really bad chance that you're going to succeed at this like you know that that, like throw out the odds you'll probably have to have a c-section so I just started to get so fearful and she really pushed me to schedule a c-section at 41 weeks so I left the appointment feeling like okay I fine I'll do that like I I started like visualizing my uterus rupturing, which I don't even know what that would look like. But when you hear that, it's such a terrifying thought, you know, like your uterus can rupture that it's like paralyzing. Like I, I of course don't want that to happen. That sounds like, you know, I would die and the baby would die. So if like having that visual thought, I thought like, okay, I'll schedule it. Like it's not worth, it's not worth the risk. 
and I talked to my parents after the, that appointment, and I told them, you know, my plan to schedule a C-section at 41 weeks, and they were, you know, really happy. And my mom started saying, like, oh, I can, I can come out. And, and I said, no, no, I'm still, well, I'm still going to try to deliver naturally. So, like, if I go into labor spontaneously, I won't, I won't have a C-section, so I can't tell you the date that I'm going to deliver. And then she said, you know, like, why would you risk it, Caitlin? Like, why, why would you, like, have that risk? And I tried to say, like, you know, there's a risk with a C-section as well, which, you know, a C-section Nobody has equal risk. About. <laughs> I know. Yes, exactly. So I, I just felt totally, like, mentally deflated. And like I said, I would have these visualizations of, like, what could go wrong. It was, like, paralyzing. So I have a friend who had a very, very similar labor to my first, also a posterior baby. I think asynclitic. And then she had a successful VBAC. So I called her and was like, tell me everything. And she was such a support. I also named her my other honorary doula because she kind of like put my head straight. This is before I found you guys. And her advice was like, get a, get a doula and get a birth team that supports you. So I, had can- I went ahead and canceled my follow-up appointments with that OB and just scheduled with the midwife from there on out. And I was pretty far along. I think I was like, 33, 34 weeks, and I started to search for, the, for a doula, and I didn't, know, I didn't know where to start, but I had had my placenta encapsulated with Gray, and she's a doula, so I just asked, you know, are, are you still a doula, and do you have any experience with feedback? And she's like, yes. So um, we met, and I decided to hire her on. It was sort of like a, you know, like day of wedding planners, it was like, just like a day of birth doula, because... Because really, she was just going to be there for the birth, and there was not a lot of, like, prep ahead of time. But leading to – oh, and then I, I had my follow-up appointment with my midwife, and I told her about my appointment with the OB. And I love her so much, Sarah. She assuaged all my fears. She, you know, she said, like – she said the same thing about the VBAC calculator. You don't know. And what she did is she said, let's plug it in. Like, let's see both scenarios, what your chances are. And it was worst case scenario, if it was a failure to progress, you have a 50-50 chance. And she was so positive. She's like, those are great odds. Like, 50-50, like, why not try it? And that made me feel so much better because I feel like the other perspective is 50-50 chance. You know, why risk it? And just having that positive spin helped so much. And then she really discouraged me from scheduling the C-section. She said, at 41 weeks, like, or at 40 weeks, I can check you. And if you're cervix is, you know, ripe and ready to go, then I have no problem inducing you. So that was a huge help. And then I realized, like, I need to do my homework here. Like, no more excuses about not having time after work. I, was, I work full time. So coming home from work and then spending time with my toddler, I just had no time to, like, read books and go to classes. So I was at work, and I love listening to podcasts at work. And I, I was on Spotify, and I just, like, typed in VBAC. And surprisingly, not that much came up, but I found, I found you guys, Yay. and I started listening. Yes, and like I said, I just binge, like, it was amazing. I binge listened to, like, every episode, um, <laughs> and I was, like, hearing stories of women whose odds were, like, way worse than mine in, like, living in places where there's, like, no support, and they were still, and, you know, people who told their bodies will never, ever have a C-section, or never have a vaginal delivery, they'll always have C-sections. And they were these success stories. And I just felt like, I can do this. And your motto, like, I am a woman of strength. Like, totally. I just felt like, I, I am a woman of strength. I can, I can do it. So really, like, <laughs> like, you were my honorary doulas. I felt like you got me in a headspace after, like, being, like I said, visualizing your uterus rupturing is, like, so far down the path of negativity. And by the time I was going into prepping for my labor, I felt like so ready. I can do this. I know I can do it. So I was really nervous about positioning, obviously for my first. So I did some spinning babies and tried position, you know, to prep prep, um, my body for like getting the baby in position. At work, I just sat on the like birthing ball. Like every day I was on that ball and I felt pretty good. And then I got a text from my doula like the day before my due date or like two days before saying, 
she blew off her back and she can't leave her bed. Um, so she was like, I'm so sorry. I have, you know, backups that I can refer you to, but if you go into labor, you know, anytime soon, I, I can't be there. Like I literally can't leave my bed. So that kind of threw me for a loop. Um, but she gave me some names and I just texted one and said, you know, I'm hoping it's okay. And she said, yes, yes. And actually I, I connected with that doula so much. She ended up being the one, the backup doula, the one there for my birth. And I kind of feel like it was better that way because she was amazing and everything I could have hoped for. But like that next day I went into labor. So I was like a day before 40 weeks. So I didn't have to worry about being induced. I went in spontaneously uh, like a day early and I woke up at like two in the morning with contractions and they were pretty, they were pretty strong, but I was breathing through them. And my husband was like scheduled to run a half marathon that morning, like seven. So in my head, I was like, okay, like I'm not going to wake him up because I wanted to run his race and, you know, labor for me takes like days and days. So this is just like early false alarm. It's, I'm not, I'm not going to deal with it, but my breathing, you know, got louder and it woke him up. He was like, I think this is happening. I was like, no, 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 you know, it's fine. I was texting my doula and the contractions were out five minutes apart. And my husband said, well, maybe we should call, you know, the hospital and just let them know. And maybe we should call uh, my cousin Maggie, who was going to come and watch Gray while we were in the hospital. I was like, no, because Maggie's, I don't want Maggie here for like three days until we finally go to the hospital. And luckily he didn't listen to me and he like was, you know, texted was like, come over. So my husband called the hospital and said, you know, my wife's in labor. They're about five, five minutes apart and asked who the midwife was on call. And it was the evil midwife. No. (laughs) Yes. I know. It was like of all the chances, like the network has probably like a dozen midwives. He said he almost didn't tell me because he didn't like, is that mental game? Like he didn't want me to know, but he's like, you need to know. So that, yeah, that was not good news. And the, you know, the doctor's office said, you know, I put in an order to the hospital they'll call you and get an assessment and tell you whether or not you should come in. And my husband was pretty explicit. He said, you know, have them talk to me. My wife does not want to talk to the midwife on call. Well, we waited an hour and she never called. When I think it was a passive aggressive move, they say they were busy, but we never got a call from the hospital. At this point, my contractions were like three minutes apart. I was like in the bathtub and then I got out. I started throwing up. And my doula is like, go to the hospital. They're not going to turn you away, and I'll meet you there. So we arrived at the hospital, I think, like 4 a.m. at that point. And we're walking through the parking lot. And every contraction, I'm like on my hands and knees. Like, I cannot walk. So painful. And I remember I said to my husband, like, I, I think I might need an epidural. Like, I, I don't know if I can do this. And he, he just said, no. And I wanted to punch him <laughs> because it's like, you don't know what you're talking about. Um, I think he said that knowing, like, he knew that's not what I wanted. But we got to the hospital, and they wheeled me in. They put me in a wheelchair, wheeled me into the room, you know, said we wanted the OB. My husband said he actually remembers the midwife. She saw us, and she kind of, like, went around the corner. She, like, you know, intentionally avoided us, which is fine with me. And then he told the doula, you know, we don't want, we don't want to see a midwife. We're going to see the OB because Caitlin had a bad experience with this previous midwife. And she said, what's her name? And I, he said her name and she said, Oh my gosh, she is the worst. She said she had had an experience with her with a failed VBAC client. And she said, she's notorious in the doula community for being very unsupportive and um, aggressive. So it wasn't, it's not just me. There's seems like there's sort of a history, but anyway, so I'm very, I'm very happy with my decision, like sticking to my guns to not, to not use her especially knowing that there was a failed feedback attempt with her. Now, I, not, I have no idea if it was, you know, caused by her. But anyway, so I got in, the OB came in and said, do you want me to, would you like me to check you? And I came really close to saying no, because if they told me I was at a four, I was going to kill everyone in that room. <laughs> like, like the constant checks from my first, from my first labor, I think is what also threw me off, like, 
okay, I'm working so hard. I'm doing this. Like, yes, I'm progressing. And then an hour later, like, nope, you're not. It was just this constant letdown that mentally just felt like my body is not working the way it's supposed to. But I agreed. Finally, I was like, you know, sure, check me. And she said, you're there. I was like, what do you mean I'm there? She's like, you're at a 10. You're fully dilated. And I, like, started crying because I'd never gotten to that point. And all of my fears about, like, just failing to, you know, failing to be able to push again and never getting, yeah, never getting to that point where I could push, like, those were gone. And I was like, oh, my gosh, we're going we're gonna to do this. So I had said to the OB, this is prior to the dual arriving, like, maybe I want an epidural. Like, this is so painful. Like, my hypnobirthing techniques for my first labor, like, I could not even get there because, like, I couldn't get myself in a meditative state. Like, the contractions were out of this world. And the OB was like, you know, I'm all for epidurals. But luckily, my doula came on and, you know, she was like, you know, you're at a 10. You're almost there. And, you know, she said, if you get an epidural, there's a chance that the baby's heart rate could slow. And because they're monitoring it, like, that could, you know, send red flags. So I'm really grateful because I know in my heart I didn't want one. Obviously, in the moment, when you're in pain, it's sort of, you know, you'll say anything. But I was grateful for her, like, explaining why it was a smart decision not to get one. And during my contractions, I remember, like, this is where, like, my mantra became, I am a woman of strength, thanks to you, <laughs> thanks to you guys. <laughs> because I really, like, I remember my, um, my mother-in-law you know, she had given me advice of like using visualization techniques, like picture your picture, like a flower opening, like open your body, which, you know, I love her. Thank you for that. But at that moment, I felt like I'm not a delicate flower. Like I am a woman of strength. I can do like, I'm in so much pain, but I, I am strong. I am capable. Like I just needed to know that I was empowered and that like I could fight through this and my body could do it. So that that became yeah like I said my mantra yeah. um, like in my head I just repeated I know <laughs> yeah it was yeah it, it like got me through and I should say like the doula oh my gosh my husband bless his heart he was like trying to like massage my back when I was going through these labor pains but like his hand was just like heavy and sticky and I was like don't touch me and then the doula came in it was like she she like pressed my hips in a way that like relieved the pain and like her hand just felt like she knew all, like she just stepped in, knew exactly what to do. So I, I feel like having her in the room just helped so much with that like pain relief that I needed. Anyway, I, I just kept like laboring, even though I was fully dilated for about two hours. I never had the urge to push. And finally the nurse and the doula were asking, you know, do you, maybe you should just start pushing. And I, um, I was like, okay, I, I, I can try. And, I hadn't pushed before, so I didn't know how. And I feel like I was, like, sort of holding back. Like, I was like, ugh, but not really pushing because it was painful. I felt like I was going to poo, you know. Like, I I just, I think mentally I thought, I'm there. Like, I'm going to have this baby, so no need to, like, overdo it. At one point they asked, do you want a mirror so you can see? And I was like, I don't care. I don't care. It's too painful. And then I was like, no, no, I do want a mirror. So I was like sort of watching push and you could see a little bit of hair, but it was very tentative. And then I remember I had this thought like, oh crap, like there's people that get to pushing and they still have C-sections. Like I had never thought about that because for me, my C-section was not being able, like not getting to a 10. That's what caused my C-section. And when I had that, like people will push for hours and hours and then have to have a C-section. It was like, we need to get this done. Like this baby needs to come because I am having this V-back, like I'm having this baby. So it was extremely painful. And I actually like visualized, <laughs> even though I've never met these women, I visualized all of the women from your podcast who I've listened to, like surrounding my bed. Just like, I know I'm going to cry. Like just telling me like, you can do it. Like I just, I remember thinking back to all of these women of strength who against all odds, like pushed through it and had their, mm. had the, had their V-backs. And I just felt so empowered. Like I was able to push my baby out. So 
as I was getting closer, I pushed for about an hour. As I was getting closer, the, the OB said, you know, do you, want, do you want to pull the baby out? And actually with the OB, I was really surprised. The OB was, like, um, massaging my perineum, like, really trying to help me have this baby without intervention. They used um, Castile soap to try and, like, make it slippery, which actually burned. So I said, don't do that. But she was, the OB was using a lot of techniques that the other midwife, like, didn't really encourage. So I was grateful for that. And she asked me, do I want to pull the baby out? And that was during a contraction. I just yelled, like, I don't care. I just want the baby out. Like, just get it out. Like, I just want to have the baby. And then that contraction passed. And I was like, no, 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 I do, I do want to pull the baby out. So the next contraction, um, I pushed and I, I reached down. And this is why I'm so grateful I didn't have the epidural because I felt, I felt everything. Like I felt like the, you know, like extreme pressure of his head and then like that release and then like his body and his limbs sort of like making their way out. And then I pulled him onto my chest and it was just like the complete opposite from my first birth. Like I, I was so present. Like I I felt even the pain I'm grateful for because I was like there in that moment and I brought, like, I brought him into this world, you know, compared to my first was Like, I, I wasn't even conscious when he was born. And it was just such an amazing contrast. And it was so beautiful. And for me, like, just, I think, healing and knowing that, like, knowing that my body, my body is capable of this. And all those fears, you know, just sort of being able to say, like, those were unfounded. Like I, I am strong. I'm capable and I can do this. Oh, and by the way, he was six pounds, 15 ounces. So definitely not a bigger not baby big. than my, <laughs> no, not yeah. at all. Like, no, I, pounds, I just gained more weight. Smaller. Yes. yes. Oh my so yeah, I mean, that goes back to like all this false information, like all these fears about, Oh, the baby's going to be big and the baby's not big or so. Yes. He is my, yeah, special V-back baby, and I was just able to hold him and do the skin-to-skin while they sewed me up and delivered the placenta, and Mm. um, it was just amazing. Like, mentally, the recovery, obviously, is different, and physically, like, yes, being stitched, but, oh, my gosh, the recovery from a vaginal, the difference between vaginal C-section is insane. Like, I would take a vaginal any day. Anyway, so that's basically it. It was magical, and I, I just feel like I have, I have you guys to thank for it because I feel like in that moment when mentally I was so fearful, yeah, like hearing, hearing the stories of, like, women before me who were able to do it, like, put me in that headspace that it made me really believe that it was possible. So thank you for that. <laughs> oh, you're so Seriously. sweet. My nose is all tingly. My eyes, I'm the crier. My eyes are like filling up with water. Yeah, I was scared of that. That never happens. It means the world to us to hear that because this, this yes. is what we want to do. This is our goal. We yeah. want to help women like we've been able to help you, even though we're not there personally, you know? And yeah. so it's awesome. It's awesome, and, you know, kind of going right into that topic of getting your head in a positive um, mental space, man, I'll tell you what, there are some negative things out in the world. There are things on Facebook and even on Instagram, and, you know, like your parents, they were scared, and and they weren't sure Mm -hmm. about your decision, and, you know, my mom wasn't either, and even during my VBAC, when I was prepping, I went on a VBAC supportive birth forum and said, you know, said, hey, I'm really excited. I just made the change. I'm going with this midwife. She's amazing. I'm mm-hmm. so, so excited. And I was reamed. I was reamed. Wow. So many people told me how terrible I was for changing to this midwife that was out of hospital. And, you know, and wow. it broke me down. It literally broke me mm-hmm. down. I was in my bed crying. And so finding your space and not letting all of that outside stuff come in is so important and it's hard it's really hard so mm-hmm. we are going to have a blog today talking about five tips on how to prepare yourself and get yourself in a good mental space and I think it is so important to to get in that space as early on as you can 
So we encourage everyone to work through any past experiences that they've had and try not to bring any fear and trauma or doubts coming into the next birth. You know, getting a good birth team like you did, you found a doula, you got a good provider, you know, well, yeah, you, you had the crazy midwife, but, <laughs> you know, your family was supportive, you educated yourself, I mean, you sat and you said you just been, I was going to say binge watched, but you listened, binge yeah. <laughs> listened yeah. to the podcast and listened to all of this stuff and all these women's stories and the facts that we're sharing, you know, you, you envisioned your uterus rupturing, which I think is very common. It's very common for us to envision what we fear. So that that is normal and and it's common. So I think know that it's there, kind of set it aside, and then envision the positive space and all the positive that can come out to it. And put your put yourself Mm -hmm. in that place and envision like what do the lights look like? What does what does the touch feel like? What does it smell like? Mm-hmm. Um, so it's so important for us to get in that that positive space, and we love so much that your mantra was um, "Women of Strength" <laughs> because women, you are you are strong. All of these moms, you guys, you are strong and you are powerful, and you can you can do it. And we want to remind you that on today's blog and on the website um, in our shop under freebies, we have that free printable of that that uh, affirmation woman of strength so definitely head over to our blog and our website and click on freebie go to the shop or today's blog click on freebies and print that out we would love to be a part of your birth space with that affirmation so Seriously, thank you so much for sharing your amazing story today. Not kidding. My nose was tingling. I had, like, tears in my eyes. It means the world because, like I said, this is what we're wanting to do. We are wanting to touch women just like you. Yeah, thank you. Like, like, thank you so much. And I feel like it's very unlike me to, like, be public about, about things like this, especially personal things like birth. But I just felt like, yeah, if I, if my story can help someone, like, like all these stories helped me. Like I want, I want to be able to share it. So I think it's so great that you have this platform because it's a way for women all over the country and the world to access information that I think otherwise they might not, they might not have. Right. So thank you, right. thank you guys for doing this because really it's it's a, a great asset to a lot of people. Absolutely, well, we really thank you appreciate so much. you. <laughs> thank you. Interested in sharing your VBAC? Head over to the VBAClink.com slash share to submit your story. For information on all things VBAC, including online and in-person VBAC classes, the VBAC blog, and Julie and Megan's bios, head over to the VBAClink.com. Congratulations on starting your journey of learning and discovery with the VBAC link.